What kind of road are you walking these days? I love the beginning of that song. It talks about being on a journey, and you don't even remember how long you've been on the journey. It's honest because it talks about the human tendency to wander. I'm prone to wander. And then there's some tension left at the last line in that first part of the song where the writer says, but are you going to lead the way? Are you going to lead the way? I don't know what kind of journey you're on these days, but humans tend to wander, don't we? And sometimes we look at the road that we're on and it's just a rut. Maybe you've fallen into a giant pothole these days in your journey. The ancient people were no different. In fact, there was a writer who wrote a song in the Hebrew Scriptures, and he cries out at one point in the song, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the highest heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand, your hand of security and comfort and strength and faithfulness, your right hand will hold me fast. And maybe that's what you need to know this morning, that there is a God who is faithful. There is a God who sees you and he sees the journey that you're on. And yes, he will lead you in that journey. And I would just love to pray for you this morning about the journey that you're on. So would you join me? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now in this room, all that have come. And God, we come from various places with our hearts in various conditions. I know some of us, we're just, trying, we're just trying to get through this day, and it's not even in the p.m. yet. God, we are just trying to make our way through, and we're not sure about what's going to happen later on. Some of us are searching, trying to figure this spirituality thing out. Maybe we're angry or we're confused or we're just, we're just not sure. We're just not sure what you're up to, God or if you even exist, but we're here. We're here in this place. And we long for some kind of connection. Some of us, Lord, maybe we've been on this Jesus journey for a long time, and quite frankly, we want something more. We want something more in our relationship with you. We want to go further in. We want to experience deeper connection, more intimacy, And we look at the road that we've been on and we're not really sure how long we've been traveling it. And we wonder, have have we wandered a bit? Have we gotten stuck? God, I pray for my friends. I pray for my own heart that you would do what only your spirit can do in a human heart, that you would open, that you would soften, that you would speak, that you would connect today because that's why we're here. We give all this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Lakeside this morning. My name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if there's somebody that I know 
that knows how to walk a long road with ups and downs and twists and turns. It's one of my friends, and she lives in Malawi, Africa. You know her. Her name's Mary Beth, and she has some exciting news for us this morning. So would you welcome her up to the stage? Mary Beth, come on up. So you have been over in Malawi for a decade now. Can you believe it? Man, time goes. You sent me 10 years ago. It's it's crazy. And you came out of Lakeside Church. You were a teacher. You went over on a short-term trip, came Mm -hmm. back, sold everything. Your friends sold everything. And you've been there. So tell me, how's that journey been? And and what are you up to? And you got a lot of things going on over there. So share a little bit about the ministries that are happening over there. Yeah, it's been amazing. And I I ran into one of the members of our original team yesterday, Patty, and then Laura's here today, who was part of our original team in 2008, which was just remarkable to see my buddies, you know? So uh, I went there in 2008 and we established a school and what started with one school began two schools and a teacher training center and outreach into our town of Indirandi. And uh, one of the reasons that I believe God put Malawi on my heart is even though we're a small country, uh, we have 1.6 orphans and vulnerable children. About uh, 50% of the population is uh, below the poverty line. So they, you know, they have to eat and take care of all their needs on less than a dollar a day. So, uh, and we have a very youthful population. 53% of Malawians are under 18. So we're the young people, you know? <laughs> so these are the children we need to reach. And um, because of, you know, a little bit of what Brad was sharing, because of corruption and misuse of power, the children are not having their needs met. And we have a lot of poverty. And one of the ways that we, you know, bring justice to poverty is through education. Amen. And we learned about that over and over again at the Leadership Summit. That is our weapon. God has given us a weapon. It's called education and love and Jesus. And those are the weapons that we bring into this, you know, terrible situation. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're educating kids in Jesus. And uh, we're educating parents, helping parents and also teachers to know how to really honor and love children. Because there's a particular way... We have to honor and invest in love in our children. And um, so that's the way we're, we're making a difference. And it's really exciting. It's a Malawian team that's leading it. I'm just a volunteer now, which is awesome. And we have 30 nationals leading all our projects. So, yeah, it's exciting. And I got the chance last year. You gave me like this quick 48-hour tour you know, came over to Malawi and just got, to, I think I walked about seven miles and there, there's a lot going on over there. She is not just a volunteer. She is a leader of leaders and it's phenomenal and it's growing. Yeah. And so that really presents some problems. And so some of you might remember about four years ago, uh, we had a weekend here where y'all were just so incredibly generous because in one weekend, we gave $200,000 so that we can build a new school over in Malawi, Africa. So it's fantastic. It was awesome. And you woke up the next day and there was money in the bank and you said, okay, now find land. Yeah. And and so there's been this journey. So tell us the Mm -hmm. journey of the land and where it's at these days. So the money was secured in what we called our lakeside land account for this four years. And uh, we've just been waiting and praying because we, you know, God doesn't move at my, definitely he doesn't move at my pace. Thank you, Jesus. And there's reasons. There's actually wisdom 
in following the pace of God. It provides protection. It prov- makes sure your leaders are established to be able to handle what God gives because we have to be able to handle what God gives us. So this was just the timing. And these two amazing, I would say older, old pastors came to us. And they own two plots of land in Indurandi, which is our town of influence. And uh, their father had given them the land. So they came to us and I just said, ah, I feel like God, our God the Father, is going to give us this land. And so, yeah, we entered into negotiations and they were just so lovely and so humble and amazing men. And you can see here I'm signing our documents for our land. Woo-hoo. Yeah. woo <laughs> So we have land. Yeah, we have land. We've got land. Yeah. And we'll, you know, and we might just go for some more land before yeah, we yeah. start building. But building <laughs> is definitely, uh, definitely part of the project. We're going to move. Um, these are some of the, the kids that we serve. So we're going to move our, um, we have a nursery and primary school for the children of Indurandi. They're referred by social welfare. They're some of the most desperate children in a very desperate uh, township. And so they're referred to us. And so we take these kids and um, nursery and primary school, we're going to move to the land. And we also have plans for uh, high school. So it's really, we want to take them all the way up. Yeah. All the way up. That's fantastic. And see what God's going to do. And that's this Indurandi. And that says, yeah. uh, what does that say? Thank you, Lakeside, Lakeside Church. Thank you, Church. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's awesome. This is amazing. So they're all praying for you. I told them I was going to share it this weekend. So my team is praying for all of you. And I just want to thank you because this is how we fight injustice. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud of my church. I'm so proud of our run on September 22nd. I wish I was here. I'm so proud of the heritage of this church that we are a justice-establishing church and God is a God of justice, so yeah. we just honor yeah. him in that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, would you show your appreciation to Mary yeah. Beth for sharing today? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Woo. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you go to the middle and kind of hang a left, it's, it's back there. And if you have a phone with the YouVersion app, then pull that up because there's some extra notes in there. There's things that I probably won't get to this morning. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, like every other passage in the Bible, has location. It has historical location. It has linguistic location. It has cultural location. In other words, it has a context, right? Every time we open the scriptures, there's a context there. It's written thousands of years ago by ancient people. There's a story going on. And so, you know, the, the ancient Israelites have a context. And in fact, at one point, they weren't a nation at all. They were 75 people. And, and, and God took these 75 people and he took them down to Egypt and preserved them in Egypt. But then like generation after generation after generation after generation went by. In fact, it was 400 years went by. And these people found themselves as slaves. And they cried out to God and God intervenes and God rescues the Israelites, and he takes them into this new place. And really quick, kind of things go bad for them. In fact, they wander around in the desert of Sinai for a couple generations, 40 years. And there was this leader, Moses, and then there was his protege, Joshua. Joshua takes over, and Joshua takes them across the Jordan River. They go into the new land, but then Joshua dies, and things get pretty chaotic really quickly for these 12 ancient tribes of Israel. 
In fact, you can read this part of their story in the Old Testament book called Judges. And the theme of the book of Judges is chaos. Have you ever felt like you look at the world and you just see chaos again and again and again? This was every day for the ancient Israelites. And there was this pattern, and you see this pattern throughout the book of Judges. The judge, you know, we can't think of like the black robe and the little wooden hammer and a court of law judge. You have to think more like ancient tribal warlord type of person, like a military person. A judge rescued the people when they were being oppressed by the other tribes around them. It was kind of this constant in and out of being oppressed and, and, and going into war and being rescued and for a little while and then, and then being oppressed again. It was a chaotic time. But I actually think that probably a better, more accurate theme of the book of Judges would be failure. I mean, I mean utter failure. The judges, they start out pretty good, but then they go from good to okay, and then they go from okay to bad, and they go from bad to worse. And by the time you get to the last five chapters of the book of Judges and you read it, it's just disturbing what we find there. In fact, this week, go and read the last five chapters. And this is Israel. These are God's people, and there's mass murder and there is sexual abuse. And there is all sorts of economic and social injustice. And there is even a civil war that pops onto the scene. And by the time the book of Judges ends, it says in those days, Israel had no king. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Chaos. It's a downward spiral of failure. And then you go from Judges and you go into some other things, but then you show up on the scene in 1 Samuel and we're introduced to this leader named Samuel and he's the last judge. And he's also a prophet. And one of the jobs of the prophet was to call the people back to God as they've been traveling on this road. So the prophet would say, hey, you guys are going this way and God wants you to go this way. And Samuel was a strong leader. He was a powerful leader and he did some amazing things. But he did one thing that wasn't very smart. As he was getting old, he had two boys and he gave his leadership to his sons. But we find out right away in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that his sons were not good leaders. In fact, it says that they perverted justice. They twisted it. They were people with power, and they abused their power. You ever see that happening in our world today? What would you do? If you're in ancient Israel at that time, and you've been on this roller coaster, this chaotic mess, this downward spiral of failure. And leader after leader after leader is not taking you to good places. And you got this guy Samuel and he does a pretty good job and then here we go again. And you see the bad times coming. What do you do in those moments? The 12 tribes of Israel had elders in each tribe, and these, these different elders gathered together, and they decided to come to Samuel. And Samuel's old, and they go, okay, 
Samuel, your sons are not like you. They're accepting bribes, they're perverting justice. This is not a good scene. So what we want you to do is we're looking around at all these other nations and how they roll. And they're looking over there and go, hey, they're doing pretty good and they're pretty powerful and they're pretty powerful. And you know what they all have that we don't have? They have a king. And so Samuel, we want to have a king so that we can be just like those nations over there. And when Samuel hears this, he's, he's grieved. He's sad. He's like, are you kidding me? This is not how it's supposed to go. We're not supposed to be here yet. I mean, what would you do? Because sometimes you look at the world, you know, you're working hard and you're, maybe you're following after God and, 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 you, and you know, you're trying to walk in, in, in justice and you're trying to walk in love and you're trying to walk in mercy. But you look at those other guys over there that aren't doing so much and they don't really care and they're doing whatever they want and they seem to have it pretty easy. They, it seems to be going pretty well for them. It's like, does this compute? I don't really understand this, God. I thought you were supposed to be faithful to me. And if you've ever felt that way, then you have an insight to the biggest question in ancient Judaism. In fact, it was the biggest question when Jesus came on the scene as well. The question was, God, are you going to remain faithful to us? We've heard about this covenant that you made a long time ago with this guy, Abraham. We've heard about this covenant, and we've heard about these promises. But when we turn on our news, it ain't good. So are you really going to be the faithful God that you said you're going to be? Will you really lead the way? And so these these tribal leaders of ancient Israel, they get together and they're like, no way, we want to be like our neighbors. And they sort of missed it, you know, because years and years before, there was this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love our neighbors. If anything sunk into my heart, over the last four weeks in that series that we just went through, it's about loving our neighbors. But God never said that you have to be exactly like your neighbors. You know what I'm saying? But this is where the people are at. They're saying, no, we want to have a king. So Samuel's like, oh man, they're going off track. I'm a prophet. I got to pull them back on track. And he's really upset. So what does he do? What do you do when you're not sure What's going to happen and you're, you're, you're frustrated and you're starting to feel a little bit hopeless? Samuel, he goes to God and he prays. Prayer is one of those five crafts, you know, that we talk about at Lakeside Church and the well-crafted life, this idea of becoming more like Jesus. There's scripture and prayer and there's connection and there's service and there's generosity. Prayer is one of those things. So Samuel, he goes right to God and he prays and he goes, God, look at what's going on here. And God says, it's Okay. Take a chill pill. Here's the deal. They're doing what they've always been doing. Ever since I brought them up out of Egypt, there's this cyclical pattern. We are prone to wander. It's part of the human nature. It says they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And then God does this remarkable thing. And in the ancient world, this would blow their minds. Because deities in the ancient world did not act like this. But God says, give them what they want. Here you go. Okay. It's not not the right time for you to have a king yet. 
In fact, I need to choose this king for you, but you're going to choose a king for yourself. And you're kind of, you know, jumping the gun here. You're kind of going your own, uh, own way. You're rejecting me. And, and God says, here you go. One of the most remarkable things about God and his love for us and the power that he has is he doesn't abuse his power. He doesn't control, manipulate, or abuse the power that he has. He doesn't do it. And there's only one thing, one way to make that a reality, and that's unconditional love. For years, I, I worked with college students, and, and I would get into these uh, chats about God, and sometimes I, I might be out on campus, or I might be talking to somebody that came to the church, or I might be having coffee around town with somebody going to a university, and we'd get into these conversations, and inevitably, they would tell me, I don't, I don't believe in this God who, and then they would have a list, <laughs> and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and they were all sort of negative things, and my answer was always the same. I would say, oh, I don't believe in that God either. I mean, maybe you grew up in a, in a spiritual situation or in a church or in a family where this God, this character of God was communicated to you that was sort of like this cosmic control freak waiting for you to make a mistake, just break one commandment and I'm going to come down on you and, and he's no fun and, and, and he's going to take your life and he's going to wreck it in all the worst ways. Maybe, maybe you grew up in this sort of hardline, legalistic, straitjacket sense of Christianity. Or maybe you knew somebody that they, that's, that's what they modeled. And you did not want to be like them. But if we read the scriptures and we start to explore and we take the story from one end to the other and we don't just pull little things out and especially when we look through the lens of Jesus the god of the scriptures is so different the god of the scriptures is is love it's joy the god of the scriptures is peace He's patience, he's kindness, he's goodness, he's gentleness, he's faithful. And the God of the scriptures doesn't fly off the handle. That's actually what the ancient deities did, is they would fly off the handle, and people would cower from the ancient deities. And what does God do? He says, here you go. Essentially, what the writer is telling us in this story is the same thing that the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the history of humanity and how we're prone to wander. And he says, when we wander, it says, God gave them over. God gave them over. How do you handle power in your life? It's one of the best questions that we can ask. You think about, you know, how God handled his power, the most powerful being in the universe, and he says, okay, open-handed with you. I'm not going to grab at you. Have your way. 
How, how do you handle power in your life? And, and you might think, man, I don't, I don't have any power. Are you kidding me? But actually, we all have power in some way. This summer, I, I, I was on vacation with my family, and before I left, I, I told our leadership team, I think I'm struggling with leadership fatigue these days. Actually, I didn't say it that way. I, I, I said, guys, I'm tired. <laughs> my heart's tired. I'm exhausted. I need to go away on vacation. And it took a little while. You know how it does when you, when you kind of unplug, and I'm kind of unwinding a little bit, but then there was this moment where, oh, I'm breathing. It happened to be on a golf course. I don't know how that happens, you know, but, oh, I can breathe now. This is fantastic. Oh, I shanked it. Now I'm mad again. No, but, but seriously, yeah, it, was, it was fantastic. And, and, and we were up in the mountains, and there was this moment where I was walking, and my son and wife were walking behind me, and I heard them talking about me, and they were giggling. And so I, I, I like, waited, and I listened in, and they were talking about the fact that lately dad's been a bit salty, you know, not, like not the good kind of salt of the earth, like salty. And, and, and I went, I, I, salty? And I, th- I thought, well, i got to Google that. What does that actually mean, salty? Because I hear the kids using it these days, you know, salty. And apparently it's like being angry and bitter and, and, and kind of out of control a little bit. And I thought, oh. And so I turned to them in my anger and bitterness, and I said, I'm not salty. What are you talking about? <laughs> I am a little bit salty. I, I have power in my family to create a mood and to break a mood, to create connection or to break connection, to hurt relationships with the people that I love the most or to build those relationships. I have power here on our leadership team to set a mood and to break a mood, to make connections and to break those connections to build relationships and do amazing things or to sabotage things. I have power in my relationship with myself, in my own heart, to create a mood or to break a mood, to build a culture in my heart that's healthy and full of love and full of patience, or to break my own heart. All of us have power on some level in this world. And when we think about this idea of becoming more like Jesus, if you are a lakesider, we have this mission statement that says we want to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. We want to change and become more like Jesus. We just believe that that's possible and he's the model. If that's true and you own that mission statement along with us, then we have to wrap our minds around how he used his power. How did he use his power? He went to the cross. That's how he uses his power. The God of the universe empties himself, takes on the form of a servant made like you and me. He goes to the cross and he dies for us. And there's resurrection power, but first there is a death. 
But the ancient Israelites, they, they didn't want to wait. They wanted to move. They, they're like, okay, this is not working out for us. We've got to do something here. This roller coaster, we need to get off it. We want to be like these other nations. We want a king. And God tells Samuel, okay, go share with them all the things the king's going to do. So if you have your passage, if you have your phone, if you have your Bible there, I want you to look down and I want to read for you what Samuel says to the people. And when I read this, there's a rhythm, there's some things, there's some themes. There's actually three themes in this passage, but I want you to look for for just one of them. In fact, it's repeated over and over and over again. So see if you can pick up on it as I read it. As as you look down about halfway through verse 11, I'm going to read this passage and see if you can find the theme. Samuel's talking about the king and the rights that he's going to take. And he says, He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Verse 13, He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his servants. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Did you guys catch the theme there? He will take. 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 Six times he will take for his own use, his own friends, his own posse, his own, his own, his own, his own, his own. This is power that abuses. When you look around our world today, where do you see abuses of power? One of the prime vocations of the church is to speak truth to the powers of the world. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes in places in the world and in places in history, followers of Jesus lose everything. They don't just offend somebody. They don't just make their in-laws mad at Thanksgiving dinner. They lose their life. One of the vocations of the church is to speak truth to the powers of the day. And Samuel's speaking truth to these elders that hold the power in their hand to make a decision to the left or to the right. 
And he's warning them, and he's grieved. In fact, he goes back to God several times. God, in this narrative, actually has to tell Samuel three times, go tell the people, no, go give them what they want, no, give them what they want. And Samuel's like, man, I don't want to do that. Samuel is hurt, and he's offended. He's, he's angry, and he's powerful. And any middle school student or high school student that has read any bit of history or the daily news for that matter can tell you what happens when angry and hurt and power are all mixed together in a leader because we see it all the time. In fact, at the end of this story, we're left with tension. It doesn't resolve. Isn't that fantastic? Like sometimes it's like a cliffhanger. It's like part two. You got to come back next week to see how some of this resolved. At the end of the story, Samuel doesn't even tell you, like he, he doesn't even help the people find a king. What does he do? He's, he just tells them to go home. Okay, go home. I mean, his, heart, his heart's just broken. And sometimes when we walk with God, there's chapters where our hearts are broken, we're confused, we're not really sure what's going on. But Samuel, he keeps coming back to God. He keeps coming back again and again and again. Let me give you three observations or three questions. I I think it would be fantastic if you went home and you sort of just asked these three questions to yourself. One of the greatest things that we can do is just search our own minds, search our own hearts. And so let me give them to you really quick. The first one is, am I caught in any kind of unhealthy or destructive pattern? In other words, have you been prone to wander like the ancient Israelites? And it just starts with acknowledging it. Hey, God, man, I'm, I am off track. That's, that's sort of where it all begins. And you might even want to journal and say, hey, this is actually how I've been prone to wander. There's something about taking our thoughts and actually putting the words down on paper that really clarifies where we're at. So it's a healthy exercise. Here's the second thing. What am I willing to let die so that life, so that my life can thrive? Jesus said, Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Again, at Lakeside, we say we want to be passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And so if we really believe that, it's passionate. We're not just robots. We're not just doing religion. But at the same time, we want to see our life multiply. We want to see love multiply. We want to see joy multiply. We want to see our relationships get better. We want to see other people introduced to Jesus. How do we do that? There's a death involved. There's parts of us that need to experience the cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live in the body, now I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In that verse, he says, Christ lives in me. Jesus lives in me. There is a new life, and maybe you're searching for new life today. Maybe that's you. You're on this journey, and you're like, okay, that's the life that I want. There's something in Jesus that's just different. 
What are you willing to let die in your life? Last question is, who will I invite on the journey? Who will I invite on the journey? Because we can't go alone. And that's the whole thing about Christian spirituality is it's not being in isolation. We're created out of community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so to be in community is to be human. To be isolated is to experience something that's anti-human. So who will you bring with you? When I was young and I first became a follower of Jesus, I grew up in this environment where accountability was like, like the big deal, like in, especially w- with all the men. Like, you got to find an accountability partner, man, and they're going to they're gonna be there. And I had this vision of I'm walking down the street, and my account- accountability partner jumps out of the bushes and says, ah, I caught gotcha, you, man. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, and, and, and you know, I'm kind of bagging accountability, but it, it's a good thing. But I actually think there's something that's maybe more beautiful. Maybe it's better. I don't know. I think we all need edit-ability partners. You know what an edit-ability partner is? It's somebody that you give permission, you give them the red pen to write and edit the story of your life, and they start taking paragraphs and moving them around, and they start finding the misspelled words and the fragment sentences and all those things. Hey, I want you to come, and I want you to speak into my life. Our leadership team this week just did that. We sat around this table and we took a day where we just spoke into one another's lives. And it was, it was powerful, and it was painful, and it was beautiful. Is there anybody that you can invite to speak into your life? It takes a couple things. It takes trust. And to get, get trust, you've got to be vulnerable because vulnerability is the gateway to trust. And so it's hard. And then it takes guts. It takes guts. It takes courage. Hey, right into my life because that's an uncomfortable thing. But I believe, I believe to the core of my being, this is how we become more beautiful on the resurrection side. There's death, and then there's resurrection. And resurrection is thriving. That's what we want to experience. Because God can take any life and make a beautiful thing out of it. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks so much for your faithfulness. This story today, the beginning of this series, God, it's it's about power, but it's also about the fact that you are true. You are faithful. And even when we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny your own character. That's just who you are. You are faithful. And so, God, I pray that we would feel that today. I pray that we would receive that today. I pray that even in our doubt, and that's okay when we have doubt, that doesn't bother you, it doesn't scare you. You open your arms wide with our doubt and all that we bring with us, and you say, it's okay. I'm going to be faithful to you anyway. And so, God, we thank you for that, that you you are there, you are love. And you make beautiful things out of each of us. In your name we pray. Amen.